0: It is. It is. It is. Wow. Good afternoon. Can I just uh, start with saying that um, I just want to acknowledge what discernment you all have in your choice of uh, <laughs> seminar this morning. It's great to have you with us, and uh, we really do count it a, a privilege and a pleasure to have this this time and tomorrow with you. And uh, I hope. That more than your heads are filled with knowledge, you will be imparted with something more of the power of God to uh, to church plant and to church plants uh, in the way I think God wants us to church plant. Um, we, we will set, share lots of stories. Initially, we're going to share stories that we think have a prophetic edge to them, uh, but we will sometimes just share stories just to bless you and just to fill you with faith uh, as we uh, spend time together. Um We'll share a bit about us a bit later on. It fits in a bit, bit, uh, um, uh, bit later on. It makes sense to do it then. Um, just to say that, that both Frost and I will be uh, taking equal share the uh, this this morning. And I, I just want to do this because uh, Romans is just the most exceptional, isn't it? Book in the Bible with such extraordinary theology. But I just love how the epistle ends with Paul giving credit to his apostolic team and his church planting team. And there he set, you know, he set uh, a new present in that he honoured women and their part in the whole church planting movement in a way that had not been done before. And uh, uh, I just wanted to honour floss, and all the ladies who are involved in this a glorious privilege of planting churches we could not plant churches without yeah. extraordinary women and um i just want to honor that and say um you have most definitely the equal part in all of this and you need to be honored in such a way so we're going to try to serve you together and bless you all and hopefully stir you to church back we have a very long title for our seminar so we've <laughs> We made it a bit briefer, we just called it uh, Planting Churches supernatural or Planting Supernatural Churches, you can put it the other way around. There's lots of titles for this talk, we might mention a few on the way. But um, I'm very happy, tomorrow I'll just have a piece of paper here, if you would just like the full notes to save you taking notes, then I'm quite happy, Just to, I always give away what I've, what I've got, because I've probably nicked it from other people anyway, <laughs> so uh, you're very welcome to have that. And um, if that saves you, but you might want to still take notes anyway. Let me just start with a a story. Uh, We have um, uh, uh, Miloš and Naomi with us. Uh, Miloš is Serbian and um, they uh, have a dear couple who are not Christians and uh, they were going through um, real agony because they so desperately wanted a child and uh, was having no success. So they went down the IVF route in Serbia, no success. And then they spent a great deal of money in Greece, went through IVF there. Still no success. You can imagine what that means to a couple. And, uh, and, and Naomi and Milos would say they're not the bravest of Christians. They would say that they're, all, they're learning very much about um, doing the things that God has called them to do. But they, uh, they just heard their pain and just said, look, we have a Jesus who has a bit of a track record are opening rooms. Can we pray for you? Mm. And they just simply, it wasn't a dramatic prayer, It was, mm. but they just simply laid hands on them and prayed. And within the year, that couple gave birth to their first child. They've got three children wow. now. And uh, every time, they've not got converted, but every time they say, they see uh, Milosh. And Naomi, they say, your Jesus gave us the greatest gift that we could ever, ever wish for. So as I said, we'll use that prophetically in a moment. But we're going to ask two simple questions today and tomorrow. And uh, are these. Why should we plant churches that have a, a truly supernatural character? And then how do we plant churches? I guess because you're here, I don't really need to convince you of the first point but we will just share a little bit about that because I do think it's important that we have biblical foundations for what we're doing so we floss and I will do that we we'll spend far more time on how do we plant churches that truly are authentically supernatural so that's where we're going to go and um, you're going to come on that journey with us Shall we pray be good to pray Jesus so Lord in the busyness of this conference we want to give you permission to speak to us powerfully right now. In this short time together you can change and transform our lives. And we dare to give you permission to do that. Pray that you will speak to us prophetically. And that you would instruct us from your word And may every word that you speak to us produce action in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why should we plant churches supernaturally? Well, first and foremost, because we have the most amazing example of this (laughs) in the early church. The model that the explosion of the early church was is (coughs) stirring enough. To cause us to plant churches that truly are authentically supernatural. Um, I don't know what you think about conferences. Maybe uh, you love them or you hate them. I don't know. You're here anyway. But um, conferences can be life-changing. I uh, remember um, it was 1991 and I was attending my first Brighton conference that uh, Terry had established for leaders before I think before Stoneley got established, and uh, we had a man called uh, Doctor Krianzak Kriamwanzak, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, a man from Thailand, who uh, just just changed my life by his teaching, and uh, he explained that many missionaries had gone to Thailand really with little impact, little effect, and yet while in Britain, I think he was um, uh, studying here. Um, he got saved, gloriously saved, converted, and uh, began to read the scriptures. And as he did so, he saw within particularly the Acts of the Apostles, a blueprint for church planting. So what he did was he went back to Thailand and started to do it as Paul did it. In other words, he would go to a town, he would look for the sick, uh, and, uh, and the maimed, and the lame, and he would pray for them. A miracle would take place, they would get healed. People would gossip what had happened, and churches were formed. It was such, with such speed, it was remarkable. And he was sharing the story of what was happening in Thailand at that time. Uh, it took my breath away. Mm. I began to read through Acts with a completely different light. He just literally, we're going to do it very briefly, but he literally just took us through story after story of how the early church was established. And it opened my eyes. And I, from that moment on, I said, God, I want to plant churches. And what's more, I want to plant churches like you started the whole church planting movement. Little did I know, Floss and I did not know that that would completely change our lives. Within, I guess, a few months, we were in a small market town in, uh, in North Norfolk. I guess there were about 60 adults in this church. And um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm uh, um, one of the, the staff there, and I'm praying in my prayer room, and I feel God says, "Grantly, this church will plant 10 churches, and you need to share this vision and galvanise the church. So I remember taking it to the elders, I thought they're going to think I'm absolutely crazy. How could 60 people plant 10 churches? We're in a rural area. The community, the town we were in was, was less than 5,000 people. So don't despise both small things. <laughs> and, uh, and I took it to the elders, really expecting them to reject it and saying, you just took a raise, and, you know, but um, they didn't. I was amazed, they said, yes, this is God. So we gathered, we, we hired a, a local motel and uh, gathered the church. And I quite nervously and a bit hesitantly shared the vision. And as one man, they stood up and they said, this is God. And so we started the venture. And So we've been, we're now 27 years on from that venue in the church that we now lead, which is Wyndham. It's a, it's a commuter town to Norwich on the south side of Norwich was the tenth church planted? And it all began at a conference. God speaking changed my life, and we've been on that adventure ever since, haven't we, Lev? So we're going to do what we're going to do throughout these sessions is we're going to do some very definite application uh, moments. Okay. Sometimes it would just be prayers. Sometimes it will be specifically listen to what Holy Spirit wants to say to us. But you're not just going to sit there passive, okay? Mm. And because this is a seminar, okay, that means there is, if we don't get through the notes, that's fine. Um, at any time, you can interrupt us. Oh, I just I said that. Yeah, they might just throw things at me. Uh, questions, clarification. If we're going to come to that later, we just say, can you, we're going to come to that later, but let's keep this as interactive as possible, yeah? Otherwise, you're just not off because you're okay. Okay, so first application let's pray, Shereen. And why don't we just do something really dangerous? Why don't we just surrender afresh our lives to God? Why don't we give Him permission to mess us up, to mess our lives up and shape our futures? Let's just do that. Whatever words you want to use, why don't you just lay your plans at his feet? And say, God, whatever you say, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'm up for it. Just be still for a moment. Jesus, Jesus, I want to thank you God that you have nothing but good for us,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. nothing but good for us, that you're passionate for our welfare and our success. And wherever you lead us and wherever you guide us, it is for our good. And it will be for our life. Because you came that you would give us life in all its fullness. Wherever you send us, we will come alive in you. Mm-hmm. Like we've never come alive be- before. Such is your heart and disposition towards us. We thank you, Lord, that your favour is on us. Your huge favour. Favor is on us, and we can live as if we cannot fail. Thank you. Will you free us now to live as if we cannot fail In Jesus name? Amen. So let's just briefly just, just do a quick scan over actually. So how did the first church begin? It began in extraordinary ways. You wouldn't script this. a sunday morning but the holy spirit came upon those disciples as they prayed in such manner that they all came bursting out of the building they lost their fear they were now in the marketplace and they were gabbling away in a language they did not understand and thought this is weird this is not a good strategy for church planting and yet three thousand got saved because god wanted to birth his church not in our wisdom and knowledge, but in his supernatural power. Wow. So it began with such a supernatural outpouring. Let me just do Samaria, then I'll hand over to Floss. I love the story of Samaria. You yeah, know, God gets tired of a Jerusalem church, and maybe that's a bit unfair, but you know what I mean, yeah, a Jerusalem church It was still predominantly inward looking, wasn't it? It had forgotten standing orders. If, if, you, if you're questioning, what is God calling me to do? Okay, it's very simple. There are, I think, two lists of standing orders. The first one is this, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, preach the gospel. That's your standing orders. So if you ever know what God's calling, that's what he's calling you to do, full stop. The second one is, you should be going from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, two standing orders. <coughs> yeah, the detail, the special orders, where and when, what people group. He'll fill that in. If you're doing the first bit, the second will follow. Just it just happens naturally. Yeah. Okay. So that was a little offside. Anyway, off piece as they say. Samaria. <laughs> the church is planted because God allows persecution. The church is inward looking. Suddenly gets scattered, and guess what happens? The church mushrooms in groves and Philip is cre- creating mayhem that's what evangelists do they create mayhem wherever they go and he's doing that and this is what it says in Acts 18 it's not on there uh, should have been on those but it's not Acts 8 sorry Acts 8 when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed they all paid close attention to what he said for with shrieks impure spirits came out of many now for those who are sensitive to being seeker sensitive to their audience this doesn't sound too good does it? But God was building this church and he built build it the way that he wants to. Shrieks came out from many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Mm. Wow, yeah. when God's building his church, he wants to build it his way. And we we'll see why there is such an emphasis on the supernatural in these early church situations. <laughs>
1: Just to say, I really appreciate those of you for whom English is not your first language. If we use phrases or terminology that you think, I'm not quite sure how that translates, just please ask us. Not that I can tell you in your language, <laughs> but we might be able to clarify because I... Well, I somebody else might be able to I am um, sadly a tr- real English person and I don't really speak much of anything else. So anyway, um, so, so, so we've just seen how the Holy Spirit started the church amazingly like that. That in, in Jerusalem going out to Samaria, and then it started spreading. And Peter and the disciples were going out, and they get to get to, to uh, Joppa and or to Lydda, Lydda first, and uh, they come across this man who's been bedridden for eight years. He's a paralytic, and he's healed. Mm. And the effects of that are amazing. Mm. Let's just read that. It just says. Um, <laughs> You know, he came upon a man called Aeneas who was paralysed and been bedridden, for this man had not moved out of his bed for eight years. Mm. And Peter just says to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat. That's all he said. You know, he didn't stay there for ages. He wasn't praying over him and shouting and doing all that stuff that sometimes we see. Mm. That's all this. And and it says immediately in the and what was the effect? It says, all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That was that's just that one issue. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned mm. to the Lord. Amazing wow. effect. And one miraculous thing that Peter had that faith and just, saw, well, I think he had compassion on the man because it's got to come out of that place of the heart, hasn't it? Do you know, we we can't be doing this stuff because we want to, you know, um, make a name for ourselves. You know, I just want to emphasize that. When we're sharing with you about praying for the sick, bringing healing to you know, doing the miraculous, it's got to be because you've got a heart for the person in Mm -hmm. front of you. Like Heidi Baker, one of my heroes at the moment, she just says, love the one in front of you. That's all you have to do. And if you do that, God will, you know, come in big time, won't he? You love the one in front of you. With the love that God has for them, anyway. So Peter. That, now after that, he's obviously getting a name for himself, and uh, they 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 actually call for him to come to Joppa. Okay, Joppa, and there is this lovely woman called Dorcas, who really, you know, she's she's loved by the community, but she dies, and uh, they ask Peter, will you come? And uh, they, and why did they do that? Isn't that amazing? Mm. Because. I don't think Peter had seen anybody healed, raised from the dead before then, had he? No. No? no. Amazing. They had faith. God gave them faith. Mm -hmm. And they called for Peter, and Peter went. And uh, it says, turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Don't you love Peter's simple way of doing things? (laughs) You know, Aeneas, get up. Tabitha, who's now dead, so he had one challenge, eight (laughs) years in the bed, now is a dead person. Okay. (laughs) Same words, get up. Isn't that amazing, mm-hmm. T- uh, Tabitha? Get up. She opened her eyes and, seeing Peter, she sat up. Okay. Now, what was the effect of that? It says, "This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord." Isn't that amazing? Again, mm-hmm. you know, amazing. Just that one issue. That woman was loved by people mm-hmm. in that town, mm-hmm. and God chose her. So that was Lydda and Joppa, and then going on to Paul's journeys, obviously. And he gets to Cyprus, and there's, in Cyprus he comes across opposition. There's a sorcerer called Elimas, and this sorcerer's giving Paul um, a lot of uh, grief, and he's, he's actually speaking against um, the Christian faith to the proconsul. So this man's got access to those in authority, okay? and he's speaking against the gospel. Um, and Paul obviously gets rather fed up with this. And uh, this is what he says, so this is interesting, again, in terms of thinking about, you know, protocols and doing things gently, okay, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, you are a child <laughs> of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right way of the Lord? And this is what he said, now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not able to even see the light of the sun. You know, again, that's not normal strategy that we would use when we go into town. To do <laughs> but it says immediately, mist and darkness came over him. and He groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now mm. what teaching had Paul done? Mm-hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? What well, teaching actually been doing something? It was spiritual warfare, wasn't it? Okay. Now he goes on to Iconium. Okay, and again he's facing opposition in Iconium. Okay, and uh, a lot of the Jews were speaking against the Christians, speaking against the gospel, and uh, they refused to believe, and they stirred up the Gentiles against the against believers. So. What do Paul and Barnabas do? They don't decide, well, this is not the place for us. It actually says in verse 3 of chapter uh, 4, I think it's chapter 14. Yeah. Right? Mm. it says four, 14. Anyway. Yes. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message by, of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Mm. Two things together. They didn't decide to leave because it was difficult. They decided to stay. They committed themselves mm. to it. Like they taught and they and they had signs and wonders following. God confirmed the message with signs and wonders. Okay, so then they go on to a place called Lystra. Okay, and they come upon a man who was lame from birth. <coughs> and uh, in this place is where Paul and Barnabas, the people believed they were gods, and they had to work, you know, they had to make sure that people didn't bow down to them and all that sort of thing, and they pointed them to Jesus, okay. Mm. And here's Paul, he's obviously learned a few things from Peter. Um, okay. Paul looked straight at the man and he said, Stand up on your feet. Okay, this man had been laying from but he'd never walked, his legs had never worked, you know, he'd never been able to move his body in that sense. And it's all Paul Paul did was looked straight at him and he said, Stand up on your feet. And it says, At that the man jumped up and began (laughs) to walk. He jumped up. up. Isn't that amazing? Don't mm. you, we want to see that? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, I want to see that. Don't mm-hmm. you? Okay, so now obviously we're we're in, in Europe at the moment. Church planting in Europe, obviously moving across from the Middle East. Okay, church planting in Europe began as a result of supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul being told to go to Macedonia. that call, that dream, the Macedonian man calling to him. Mm. Okay, so what we're saying is it's not just healing, raising people from the dead. Of it. It's that Holy Spirit's <coughs> guidance as well. It's not just those miraculous things. It's actually visions and dreams that give us those, that guidance. And that is exactly what happened. Um, you know, that, that, that dream that Paul had of a man saying, come, you know, come to Macedonia and help us. So, so the, the direction was from the Holy Spirit as well. Okay. And then obviously the, the last one I want to talk about is Philippi. And um, I think this is a really, really important um, uh, thing for us to, to look at because in Philippi, um, again, they were finding opposition, and opposition was coming from this slave girl who was used by her slave masters as a she earned a lot of money for her masters as, as for, by fortune telling, and she kept following around Paul. And eventually, it says, finally, Paul became so annoyed. You know, and again, we don't tend to think. Well, we work out of annoyance, and this is how we, you know, see great things happening. But so finally, Paul became so annoyed he turned around and just said to the spirit, "In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you come out of her." Simple, again. And at that moment, the spirit left her. You know, amazing, again. So that was in Philippi. But then, when Paul talks about um, how he how he came to people, you know. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1 it says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. This is Paul, who was doing all this amazing stuff. I came in weakness, great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, Mm. but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And if we want to plant holy churches, that's the the heart of it, isn't it? We Mm. want that we want vibrant churches across Europe that are full of life, because they're they're built on the power of God, not human wisdom. And you know, we mustn't forget, must we, that Jesus said it was his job to build the church. Hmm. Very often we do it the other way, and, and we've got to go out and bring in the kingdom. And if we bring in the kingdom, if we focus on that, he will build the church. And very often we are focusing so much on building the church ourselves, but we forget that we've actually got to bring in the kingdom, and uh, that's the whole essence of what we've been
0: really talking about these two days. Okay, let's have another test me, then I will bring some application. Kirsty is a young man and she comes to Alpha. The reason why she comes to Alpha is because somebody invites her, it's not rocket science, is it? <laughs> and what guess what happens when she gets on Alpha? She gets gloriously saved, but she's a woman with a, a real. Um, burden and it's this she's got one child but every attempt to have a second child has failed she's had uh, numerous I forgot the number numerous but six miscarriages and so though she's come to Christ she shares the pain of miscarriage and wanting for a child and uh, the um, you know the uh, session came up for healing uh, and always in that session we pray for the sick and ministered to them, we've seen many miracles, and um, they asked Kirsty if they could pray for her situation. So that's what they literally did. They just laid hands on the shoulder and prayed that she would give birth within the year. And Kirsty did give birth within the year to little Grace. Mm -hmm. But when Grace was born, the doctors were were severely uh, concerned and took the baby away from her almost instantly. And suddenly news from the hospital came to us that uh, little Grace was very, very ill. And I can't remember the actual name of the the complaint, but basically her heart, all the muscles of her heart uh, was hardened. And um, it would be a complaint that would severely debilitate her at best, could kill her at worst. And so I remember the Sunday, she was born, I think the late Saturday night. So I'm about to announce the news on Sunday when, I, when um, the leader of her life group comes to me and says, um, hey, we, this is the situation. So I was gonna triumphantly talk about grace and now, I, I don't know what, God, what possessed me, but I was indignant. I was so angry at the enemy. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I've ever prayed uh, publicly like I prayed there. I just stood my ground. The whole church stood its ground, saying, "Satan, you have no right over this miraculous birth. We are we are claiming grace right now, and uh, and, and we just we just really just railed at the enemy, and it, it just lifted Jesus up. And um, after the after the service, the life group I remember their meeting here. They were over there praying." for little Grace. As they were praying, they got this text message through to say that great, great little Grace is out of intensive care and is with her mother. So that was positive. Kirsty about, um, about a month later, I think it was about a month later, stood up and shared the story and said that uh, little Grace has just been fully examined by the medical profession and um, they are somewhat perplexed and puzzled, but absolutely thrilled that there is no sign whatsoever of any, any infirmity of the heart. Wow, yes, great story, great story. Uh, so let me just give some application. Let's pray again, shall we? I told you two stories about giving birth. Just want, to, want us to pray. I'll say it then. If, if you just want to use your own words, if you feel this resonates with you, don't just do it because I'm asking you to. If it resonates with you, do it. God put a desire in me to be part of the birth of a truly kingdom culture church. Jesus. And then pray this if you want to. When you feel that you're facing failure, God, help me never to reduce my vision for such a church and to have the determination to fight for it, to fight for its continual existence until it's fully, gloriously established. Just pray that in your own words. And let's just ask Holy Spirit, shall we? Because he's the great communicator. Let me just let's ask this. God, is there anything in your word that's not yet in my life? And if so, what is it that you want me to pray to bring that about? And what is it that you want me to do to be a co laborer with you? Amen. So, the early church example. Secondly, obviously, the nature of the mission that God has given to us. This is a a provocative quote by Bill Johnson. It is impossible to give an adequate witness of God without demonstrating his supernatural power. The supernatural realm is his natural realm. See, I believe in the proclamation of the gospel. I'm an evangelist. I've spent my life proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel. And so please do not hear what I'm not saying, Okay? I want to encourage you, take every opportunity to make the gospel known. But there is more to our mission and more to our standing orders than just proclaiming the gospel. As wonderful as that. And so we're going to ask two important questions, and here they are. We're going to just ask very simply, exactly what is this uh, mission that God's given to us? What did Jesus actually emphasise when training his disciples concerning their mission? And then secondly, just a little bit about why has this mission got confused over the centuries and become unclear? That I believe God is bringing greater clarity to now than uh, before. So that's where we're going. So over to Floss. Okay.
1: So let's look at how Jesus trained his disciples. And obviously, we know that Jesus was the greatest, you know, trainer of people. He's our he is our pattern, isn't he? And so let's have a look at how Jesus um, trained his disciples. So Matthew four twenty. This is what Jesus did, and he talked to us about being like him. Okay. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among people. That is the pattern of Jesus' ministry. Okay, so if Jesus, the Son of God, okay, himself didn't think that perfect holiness, which he had, stunning wisdom and anointed preaching, which of course we've all got as well, was sufficient to expand his kingdom. He didn't. So obviously, if he didn't think that just that was sufficient, then neither should we. Okay? Neither should we. he needed miracles and so do we. His pattern of ministry was always with the miraculous. And so so should ours be, if we want to be truly following the way that Jesus taught us to yeah. to bring in the kingdom. Okay. So Jesus explicitly follows the training of the pattern of rabbis, okay. He, but they called you know, sometimes he was called Rabbi, wasn't he? And uh, the rabbis, so in Luke it says, Jesus said this, A pupil is not above his teacher or rabbi, but everyone, without exception, after he's been fully trained, will be exactly like his teacher, okay? And in John, Jesus states, for I gave you an example that you also should do exactly as I did. <clears throat> so you're getting the idea. Yeah. The continuation and replication of Jesus' mission was exactly as I've sent you, so the Father, exactly, so the Father sent me, I send you. Exactly the same way. Mm. Okay. That's quite challenging, isn't it? <laughs> if you actually back. really think about it, exactly as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, okay, that's just okay. And so all through the Gospels you see that the disciples <coughs> were encouraged to emulate Jesus. He taught, you know, they lived with him 24 seven, didn't they? <coughs> well, I presume they lived with him 24, we don't know all the time, so that's a bit of a generalisation. But they lived with him, they walked with him, they saw what he did, he was a, a brilliant teacher. <coughs> but he didn't just teach them with words, he showed, and you know, that actually, people that do things learn quickly. That, and he sent them out, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He sent them out to do the things that he did. You know, it, it talks about how he called his twelve disciples to him, and he gave authority to them—the authority that he had—he gave to them to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now they were, well, were they uneducated fishermen. You know, they didn't have great, you know, education in terms of what we would say, education and I think we've got to somehow put off our western mindset that says education, training is purely about academic thinking now we've we've so gone down that road. And I just want to tell you this quick story. I was reading a story, reading a book about Heidi Baker recently, and um, they were talking about them people going on their training school. And she talked about this one particular pastor whose wife had brought him to know the Lord, um, and he then went on, you know, he was a drunkard and she 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 was an amazing woman. But she was a very simple woman. She had no education at all. She could not read and write. She was on their training school, but when it actually came to the end, it was the sort of technically, she couldn't graduate from the training school because she hadn't been able to do the sort of paperwork. So they were, but she was an amazing woman. She had seen several people raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. And so they went to Hyde and said, what do we do about, whatever this lady's name was, I can't remember. What do we do? We can't graduate her because she hasn't done the paperwork. And Heidi just said, Goodness me, church! she's raised people from the dead. Of course, she graduated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we have to change our mindset, don't we? And I think we've got to do that. And so, therefore, you do not have to be clever to be a church planter and to be doing the things that Jesus mm. You just have to be obedient and full of spirit. Isn't that amazing? Okay. So, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven has come near. This is to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Mm-hmm. Guys, are you getting warm in here? Because I did turn it, um, the uh, aircon off because it was getting chilly. Do you want me to turn it back on again? Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> so those, are, as Grant, he said, those are your
1: standing orders. That is what Jesus told us to do. We made it so complicated, you know? And then it says, you say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they'll pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. That's what Jesus spoke. He spoke that out over his disciples. It wasn't, oh, they might. Some of them might do this. You know, the clever ones or the very (laughs) spiritual ones. But no, he said, they will. That's you. That's me. It's everybody. It's not just for the special ones, okay? So, you know, we want to just say to you that miracles are not the icing on the cake for Christians. They're the meat and potatoes of our Christian world. Jesus. And you know, Jesus taught his disciples (coughs) that they must not see miracles as anything other than essential to their kingdom lives and those of our churches, you know. And I would say, going further, the power and dependence on God for provision of signs and wonders Mm -hmm. is not primarily to prove the gospel, though it says they confirmed with signs and wonders. It is. You're going to love people. You're going to bring healing to them. You're going to pray for provision for them. You're going to pray for their hearts that are broken to be mended. you can to pray for their babies to be born. You know, all those things, aren't
0: you? Wonderful. I think you need a story. <laughs> We've got this young girl, and her mother takes her to a meeting and uh, Heidi Baker is the speaker. We mentioned this, so I just reminded the story. And uh, at the end of the meeting, this little girl, four years of age, goes to a mum and says, "Mum, I've got to go and talk to that woman." And her mother says, "What do you mean? That's the speaker. That's you can't go and talk to." Her. No, 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 no. I've got to talk to her because uh, I've got a message from God for her. Well, her mother thinks this is just, yeah. You know. So. Um, Anyway, before she could say anything, she runs to Heidi Baker. And she goes to her and says, "Uh, Heidi, I've got uh, a message from God for you. So Heidi, who's just so loving, says, "Uh, yeah, what is it? And she says, well, God says, turn left. That's it, turn left. And she leaves. Some months (coughs) later, Heidi is on a convoy, uh, a sort of um, aid convoy, uh, with a couple of trucks, Uh, in a land I can't remember where and they come to a T-junction and there is a difference of opinion as to which which direction they should go and uh, the the truck in front with with a lot of the um, uh, sort of uh, officials uh, is convinced and goes right Heidi gets to the T-junction and remembers the prophecy and turns left There are bandits in the area. They kill everyone who's gone right. And Heidi Baker and her entourage are saved because they go left. Four years of age and God speaks. He's that sort of God. Tomorrow I'll tell you another story about this little guy. So have you got this? It's so fundamental you really need to grasp it. Supernatural ministry is not extra to the gospel, it is the gospel. Therefore, if we are not presenting it to the lost, we are not presenting the gospel to the lost. It is a fundamental uh, paradigm shifting concept. Let me just give you a, a, a scripture, okay. There's that quote, that signs and wonders are not primarily given to prove the gospel, they are the gospel. Let me give you a passage in Romans. I really had to check this out with some Greek scholars because I was, um, I I thought I was right, but I really wanted to check it out that I was right. And um, this is what Romans 15 says. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. So here's Paul describing his ministry, yeah. By word and deed, notice that, very cemented together, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition, gospel. Because the original Greek just says that. We have added the bits in black. I wonder why we've done that. Uh Now we've obviously done it because we want to help the flow of the text. But in reality, we've put our value system on the gospel. We've called it ministry, and we've called it preaching. When Jeep G- Paul does not make that distinction at all. Great, got a hand, yes. Can you give a definition of the gospel? Yeah, the gospel is more than words. It is a demonstration of the very kingdom life here on earth. So when people encounter the gospel, it's not just the cross; it is the power in the person of our Saviour Jesus Christ. It is Jesus and everything that he inhabits. Yeah. When we say that people should believe in disaster, yeah.
1: what Do you mean when you say that people
0: should believe in oh, Absolutely, absolutely. But the Saviour who does just doesn't just cleanse us from our sins and takes things from us. But empowers us. Why does He take sin from us? Because His ultimate gain is to fill us with His presence and His power. So the gospel must encompass His empowering presence in our lives. But you consider if miracles are not happening, that there is no, there is not a clean gospel. I mean, if people believe, but there are no. Yeah. And are, would you say that this, this is still a gospel? Yeah, it, it, is, it is part of the gospel, I would, not, I would say most definitely it's not the whole gospel. So for centuries the church didn't believe in the baptism of the spirit for instance. Was the church still the church? Yes. But it wasn't everything that God wanted the church to be. And God has graciously restored to us. These things, as he did through the Reformation. The Reformation was this glorious declaration of grace to the church. Was the church still the church? Yes, in parts it still was, yet it hadn't grasped that glorious grace. God is wonderfully giving back to us what has been robbed from us since those early church days. Great question. Yeah. Is that clear? Great, great. Keep coming back. Okay. We want to make the gospel words only when it's (laughs) words and power. So important. So, So Paul is saying, I fulfill the gospel of Christ. I make it my ambition to evangelize or gospelize. And every time we're engaged in not just speaking the words, but doing the stuff. Or as they vineyard people say we all get to play I'm not sure i fully like that term but you know what they're getting at they want everyone involved in this glorious spreading of the gospel okay let's do some application let's just go back to prayer shall we and let's just ask this question of the holy spirit concerning ourselves i ask this question and i'm going to give you a little time to ponder it Have I in any way, Holy Spirit, reduced the supernatural to mere confirmation of the preached gospel rather than the gospel itself? Just spend some time with Holy Spirit. Then let's ask this other question of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, are there any adjustments I need to make to fully embrace the miraculous in my life and ministry? you anything, just write it down. Don't lose it. Revelation is very elusive. You get it one minute, it's gone the next. So jot it down. Make note of it. Okay, second point of this nature of our mission. Why has it got so unclear throughout history? I'm just going to give two brief reasons. There's many, but I just give two, and then we're going to move on to the positive stuff. Okay in the sense of how do we build churches that have a supernatural characteristic in nature. I think the first one is this. Let's be real. The supernatural road is difficult. It's difficult. We run a school of supernatural life. Uh, We've got 50 students or 50 people engaging at the moment with the school. we have seen lives transformed. We've seen people who've never shared the gospel in their lives before, boldly going up to strangers and talking about uh, the glorious truths of Jesus and praying for them to be healed. We've got story after story. We have, um, we've got bunting now we write on, that um, every story, every good news story that we have, we write on the bunting so that at the end of the year, we can have this, I don't know, mile-long bunting with the stories on so that we can look at what has been accomplished amongst people who have never said boo to a goose and have never seen a miracle in their lives it's tough GK Cheston said this Christianity is not being tried and found wanting it is being found difficult and not tried <laughs> I want to be real with you it's tough and I think What often happened with church leaders is they felt shame because they tried and uh, they felt some inability or they were wrestling with their own cowardice they were probably a bit you know off put by some members in the church who were pretty ordinary people but were doing the stuff and they weren't and you can see how this soon takes hold of a church and within one generation, from being a supernatural church, would become a non-supernatural church. And you can understand why a theology would then be birthed out of experience. That there are no known wonders, so therefore, the wonders must have only been for the apostolic age, because they truly are there, and we can't deny that they're in the scriptures, but we're not seeing them. And that theology, cessationism, actually came, not out of scriptural rigor, but out of a lack of, and a desperate need to explain it. Yeah. Amen. So, let's apply that for a moment, shall we? Let's go back to Holy Spirit, shall we? Just, just close your eyes a moment. Just ask this question. Holy Spirit, is there any way that I've allowed my current inabilities and lack of courage to set the pace for my ministry or for my life rather than what you've revealed in your word? Is your will for me? Jesus. Do you like uh, reading great stories of great Christians, biographies? I do too. Great, aren't they? I find this defining moments in most of these great men and women of God is this they do not accept their inabilities. And they turn fear to faith. Isn't it? There's a moment in their lives where they realise their lives aren't what they should be and they press on in. If this is one of those moments that make you determined to press through your inabilities, way we've been very, very successful. Very, very successful. There was another, I think, mindset. Perhaps this is... Only just a little aside because it's not so relevant to us, but I'll I'll say it anyway. And that's this, that there was this view that Jesus, after all, was God. And therefore, we shouldn't expect the same miracles that Jesus had. After all, the reason why, the primary reason why he did them was to prove that he was God. Certainly that was part of it. And therefore we shouldn't seek to imitate God in the miraculous. It was a mixed up thinking. It's a jaundiced perspective. Why? Because they were quite happy to imitate God with their acts of piety. Or ethics. Or traditional forms of ministry. Or even suffering. But they wouldn't imitate Jesus in the supernatural. How did they get to that position? I'm sure you wouldn't think like that. Floss gave you, in a sense, Paul's final word, word in 1 Corinthians 2. Let me just remind you. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Yeah? Can I just deal with, it's a bit of my, I'm I'm going to hit one of my pet sort of hates at the moment. And that is, I'm I'm meeting lots of charismatic leaders who are saying, I just think we need to tone down the Holy Spirit in our public gatherings. After all, it's for the lost. And we don't want anything to offend them. So if you've said that, I'm sorry, I'm just going to give you a counter argument. I think what you're saying is this. No, 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 Decency and order. I am committed to it. You come to Wyndham, it is decent and order. Maybe a bit of chaos on the fringes, but it's decent and order. I think what you're really saying is, we want you to come, we're not going to give you the whole gospel because it's weird and it'll put you off. So we're going to give you our wisdom because that won't. We prefer our wisdom and our ability to communicate the truth to you more than we trust the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so you, choose, you can choose whatever you want to do on a Sunday. I just want you to think about that. Jesus had no problems with spitting into someone's face or making mad and splatting on their eyes. I mean, that isn't seeker-sensitive just try it on a Sunday (laughs) but he was demonstrating the power of God wow (laughs) let's do a no we go straight into floss we're not going to do an activation there Uh, quarter past yeah yeah so let's do the first one on how to plant churches supernaturally ready for next okay. next time
1: we realise realised that we've actually waited it so that we've got a bit more for tomorrow so we just want to start today just at the end of, of that there's a lovely quote that Grantley's got he has actually said James Callis said this the command to go out and preach the kingdom of God is never once never not once separated from the command to heal and cast out demons they're never separated always together preach the Preach the gospel, cast out demons, you'll sit always together. Okay. You're getting the gist of where we're coming from, aren't you? <laughs> and, uh, I think so. Okay, so the question is: how do we plant churches supernaturally? So that's what you're saying. Okay, well, that's not very fine, but how do we actually plant churches? If you go and if you just go and do the things, the standing orders, and you're planting a church, you'll be you'll be getting there. Okay, but let's see, how do we plant churches supernatural? Well, let will just tell you a, a story, and very interesting, this is another story about a baby, and I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if God's actually, you know, saying something. We've got a couple in our church called Sue and Ian, and um, their their family life is a bit complicated because they've both got prior families, but one of the daughter, Ian's daughters, um, walked away from God, she was brought up as Christian, but she walked away from God, she married another guy and. Um, they, uh, you know, she wasn't walking with Jesus. But uh, one day Sue and Ian went to visit um, Lizzie and her husband and noticed that they were actually quite down um, and didn't really understand. So eventually they asked and said, what is going on with you guys? Why are you so down? And they actually just, they shared with them though they wanted to keep it quiet. They hadn't wanted to tell uh, Ian and Sue. They said, well, we've just found out actually that Lizzie's pregnant, which is great. But actually they just told us yesterday that the baby, that the pregnancy is ectopic. So it's stuck in the fallopian tube and you know that's actually incredibly dangerous. Um, and because if the fallopian tube bursts with the growth of the baby it, it can cause fatal bleeding and uh, it's, it can be fatal. And so they said to Lizzie, who was so thrilled to be pregnant, actually, no, you're gonna to have to come back tomorrow. So the, the next two days later, so Ian and Sue were seeing them in the middle of the day, saying, come back two days later and we will remove the, the pregnancy, we remove that, and often the tube is removed and then, then it cuts down, your chances of getting pregnant again. And that was really sad. And so Ian and Sue sort of looked at each other and thought that, it, that they knew that she sometimes talking about their faith was a bit of a difficult issue with their daughter and her husband. But they thought that they weren't going to leave it. You know, they decided to rise up and thought, okay, we're gonna go for it, even if they're not happy. So they just said to them, can we pray for you? Um, and in other times that has not been greeted very favorably. But actually at this moment in time, Lizzie and her husband said yes, amazingly. So Ian and Sue said, Okay, we'll pray, we're pray for this baby. And they actually said, Can we put your hands on your tummy? So they actually laid their hands on Mrs. Tummy and they and they prayed healing and wholeness over that baby and they prayed for this baby to be born mm. successfully. So that's a big prayer. <coughs> and um, so and then they left it. And then Lizzie and her husband went to the hospital the next day and obviously they had to give her a scan to see exactly what was going on. They scanned her to find that the baby's now in the womb. Ooh. Ooh. Yes.
0: Come on! Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the baby was born successfully and is healthy baby boy. Yeah. And uh, who they're really enjoying as a grandchild. That is miraculous. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You know, and if we don't, if we don't go over step over our fears and think we're yeah. going to offend people, we're yeah. never going to see those things. Yeah. So you know, I just want to encourage you to do that—to step over that fear of people are so much more ready to, for us to pray for them, to be for healing, than than we are ready to do it. So often, mm. they're much more willing. Even on, out on the streets, you'll find that people are much more ready for you to pray for them because you know you're just showing them that you love them. Mm. It's the most important thing. Yeah. So you know, so actually. Just out of that story, what we just wanted to say, in terms of how we you know we plant churches, we've so often wanted to, to, to birth a supernatural baby in the gift of the individual. Mm-hmm. And actually, we're called to go out and plant churches as a community. And so often we find that, you know, we're sending people out with a vision. You know, you go and do that and you feel that you've got to go and do it on your own. And Jesus didn't send his disciples out on their own, did he? Mm. He didn't send them out ever as a one. Mm. He always sent them out as at least two and sometimes in great numbers. You know, he sent out the 72 and he paired them up. You know, and we're not called to go and do it on our own. Mm. We were always meant to venture out but we were never meant to do it alone. You know, Jesus kicked off the mission that we're continuing now. He didn't commission rugged individual, individualistic swashbucklers. You know, if you don't see yourself as this person that could do the stuff on my own, I'm really that, you know, that, you know, warrior person, you know, forging your own destiny. He initiated a movement destined to be the community of the faithful. It was together. And I think it's really, really important that we teach ourselves that and we teach our people that, that we don't want them to just necessarily Mm. feel that they've got... So very few people have that wonderful gifting. Now, um, Rob's not in the room, but... (laughs) Last night we were in a taxi with Rob Gulliver and we were coming back from a meal and he starts talking to the taxi driver and saying, do you know Jesus? Rob doesn't speak Spanish and the taxi driver didn't speak much English at all. It was a very, very interesting conversation. And uh, But <laughs> you know, Rob's got a passion for people and he will go and talk to anybody, but not everybody's like that. I'm certainly a bit less reluctant, I'm a bit more reluctant to do it than Rob is. There are not many us like that, and we're not called to do it alone. We're called to church plant, we're called to go <coughs> and take the gospel out as part of a community. Yes. And that's why, you know, as Chris was talking this morning talk about building a team, you know, we want to do that. Um, you know, we, did, we weren't sent to, to do it on our own. So the pattern, Jesus sent them out of 12, and then he sent them out of 72, never on their own. And they were told to go together. Now, how do we build such communities? How do we do that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. In Jeremiah 1, it says this. Then the Lord, it says, I'm to think about, well, hang on a minute, what are we talking about here? Well, you're getting in the minute. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So actually sometimes we have to destroy and overthrow thinking in ourselves before we can build and, uh, and build up. And so actually often in, our, in ourselves and in our people that we're gathering as a team, we actually have to destroy some patterns of thinking first. Okay, so we need to actually deal with some of the lies, and so Grant is going to do some of that, you're going to do the first one. Yeah,
0: that's just stop. the first one, and then we'll stop, five minutes more, and then we'll stop with an activation, and then come back tomorrow for all the other things that we're going to demolish and then build, okay? So, we do it as a community, as a family, not as individuals, because... God has ordained us to do it in such a way it's the safest and the best way that we all get to play to use those vineyard words okay and how do we build such a community well we need to destroy some things so berlin if people come and join pete for the berlin church plant Uh he mustn't assume that everything about these people is ideal for church planting they may be thinking that they have that he needs to destroy, demolish. Okay, and here's one of them. We need to demolish excuses. You know, one of the first things that comes in your mind when you get an opportunity to risk it in faith is an excuse not to do it. Isn't it? And this is the primary one. And that is, I really don't know if this is God's will at this moment in time. Let me just, you know, we've been on this church planting adventure and we've learned something really significant. Is that most of the time we had no clue whether it was God's will or not? We didn't. We had a little hunch here, a little whisper there, that, you know, a little sort of circumstance there. I would love to say that it was all written out, you know, carved in stone on the wall and we could look at it and say, yeah, that's where we're going. It wasn't like that. Most of the time, we did not know. We just did standing orders. And then on that journey, we believed that God would make it clear, that clarity would come. How did the Macedonia call came? Because Paul was just doing standing orders, going here, going there, nothing was happening. He must have got terribly frustrated. It seemed like just, and suddenly God speaks. He speaks because Paul was attentive to standing orders. He didn't need a specific word. He would wait for the specific word. And this is so important. So when people come to you and say, hey, I'm really, I would love to do that, but I'm not sure. Nine times out of 10. No, probably 99 times out of 100, I'd say, do it. It might end up in a, Terrible mess. (laughs) Do it. Because I want to teach you the principle of going. Just go. 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 I am confident that God will sort that out on route. He will. See, after all, the disciples were following somebody they didn't even know who he was. Have you ever thought about that? It's crazy. Come, follow me. Matthew, uh, Mark 1. Come, follow me. They left their nets immediately, followed him... They didn't know he was the Messiah to what was it? Chapter 10, I think it is. So why are they following him? You ever asked that question, why are they following him? They don't even know who he is. It's like that with us. We will not know if this is truly God, but there's a great way of finding out. Go on the adventure. One Samuel 14, you know the story of Jonathan? and his armor bearer is such a great story i won't read it all to you but what does he do he thinks stand in orders destroy the philistines they're the enemies of god i don't know if god's with us hey come on armor bearer let's let's try it out i've got this fleece we'll go and he, he just says look, look if, if this is god he will make it known to us But for Jonathan, his armor bearer, to show himself to the Philistines was ridiculous. I don't think those two could have outrun the whole of the army of the Philistines. Mm. Somebody would have caught them. But they were willing to risk it. Because maybe God's given them to us. We don't know. Let's find out. (laughs) And as they go, what do they find out? Mm. Yeah, God is with them. The Philistines are going to fall. And then there's this miraculous miracle of two people against an army, and they win. Staggering. And it happened because they demolished excuses. We can't do this. There's only two of us. Only one of us has got a sword. (laughs) Who's going to have it? I think the armor bearer was thinking, flipping heck, you've got it, and I've got nothing, you know. But they didn't make an excuse. They just thought, this is an opportunity for God. Let's let's see it. I pray for lots of people. Do all of them get healed? No. Far from it. But it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. And if you do it, as Frost said, with compassion and love, and you leave them with that deposit, you have blessed them whether they get healed or not. You know. We heard one amazing story in... in um, in Kathmandu, isn't it? This man who prayed for somebody who had no leg for 25 minutes while for his leg to grow while the crowd around him were just shouting abuse and, uh, you know, railing at him, you know, for what is this stupid... And you know, he never got him. And he took this man aside because he could see that the man was now getting distressed and he loved him and he provided food, and everything for him That's that stage. And there was a somebody who was of another faith watching this, who he previously had a conversation with, and at the end, as he sent the man, man off, still, still with one leg, but all this love, the man came up to him and said, do you know, I've watched you, and I know that Jesus is real because you so love this man, like I've never seen anybody love a man, even though you were taking all that abuse and nothing was happening, your God must be real, I want Jesus as my saviour. Wow. And he led him to the Lord. From his Hindu faith to Christian faith. And the miracle didn't work. But because he demonstrated such love. There are no excuses, folks. So come back tomorrow with no excuses. This is what you're about. Try it tonight.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Let's just, let's just one final activation. Okay. You're in the presence of Holy Spirit, just thank him for the adventures that you've already been on, just do that. Think of the adventures in your life you've already had, thank him for that, okay? Thank him for that, wonderful. And then finally, just ask Holy Spirit, are there any excuses in my life that I really need to demolish? And just ask Holy Spirit to do that in you right now. Wonderful. I should have said this right at the beginning. It's usually the first thing that comes into your mind when you ask Holy Spirit question. He's very quick at answering. Far quicker than you get a reply from an email usually. Straight in there. Okay, so coming back next, next day for some more demolishing things and some more building things of how we build a community that will build churches that are truly supernatural. You've been great. Thank you so much. Okay.